Hey, this is Kat Stancic, the lead boss with the Revenue Accelerator podcast. And today I have Jennifer Best of AAA, oh my goodness, AAE Speakers. So Jennifer actually brings the best of nearly two decades of leadership experience in digital demand and demand marketing in her role as the head of marketing for AAE Speakers Bureau. So recognize. She, uh, joining the AAE team in March of 2020, was Best was part of the organization's coordinated and successful efforts to shift product offerings to support virtual events in response to the pandemic. Yikes, talk about a huge undertaking and something that she's accomplished really successfully over these this last year and a half. I'm like, I can't even, what year are we of COVID? Um, so she uh, manages high-performing digital marketing teams in both the healthcare, tech, and cybersecurity industries, having led teams at Arma. Armada Health, <laughs> you cannot read, uh, Connect You Care, and Jamalto, formerly SafeNet. So she began her career as an SBA award-winning entrepreneur for her digital marketing agency, Lewis Web Creations. So she's bringing it from all the angles to make these experiences for virtual events and in-person events absolutely engaging, entertaining, and of course, converting for the metrics that you have. She has helped hundreds of small and home-based and nonprofit businesses with online marketing and web design services. Now she's comes from the uh, University of Delaware. So, you know, got to recognize all of the people out there who are listening to that. Um, she's also part of the American Association Triangle Chapter um, and director of the mentorship program, Connect and Inspire. So Jennifer, welcome. And thank you so much for making the time to join me today. Thanks, Kat. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah. I mean, just talk about a lot of street cred. Um, So you look amazing on paper and it's not just paper. You also look amazing in real life, especially the kind of results that you help your clients achieve. So I know that a lot of what you do um, is focused on the corporate um, kind of professional space and you have a lot of experience in the entrepreneurship world. So we're going to kind of like talk about both. So where you want to kind of say, hey, here's the lingo for corporate and this is the lingo for entrepreneur. But really, I just want people to know that the strategies and the tactics and the the, you know, uh, the the, um, what's it called? Um, uh, Oh, my God, the word just escaped me. So the things that you're seeing, you know, being applied now Mm -hmm. and what's going to be happening are applicable across these industries. Definitely a little star thing. So what are you seeing as being kind of the thing that people are focusing on now? And is it the right thing or, you know, should they be doing something else when it comes to putting on events? So thank you so much for all of that. Um, let's just talk about a minute, just throw five questions at you and pick up one and answer it. (laughs) Okay. Um, so I would say what, what are people focusing on right now? I mean, there's definitely, Digital marketing as a whole is always going to be the the powerhouse. And I think that what's happening right now is the pandemic and the work from home situation has really kind of thrown marketers for a loop. Mm. Um, you've really, um, you've lost the ability to go on site and do sales calls and you lost the ability to do direct mail campaigns. And um, everybody is now inundated with email as you and I definitely are. Um, and And I think that right now everybody is, pushing email because they, A, they can, because it can be accessible from anywhere and B, Mm -hmm. it's usually a relatively inexpensive way to go about marketing to people, which um, I'm a big fan of email, but I also am a big fan of um, targeted emails and emails Mm -hmm. at the right time with the right message, not just emails for the sake of, I've got to get my message out some way, somehow, and I've got to get it to this audience today. Um, It really should be more reactive and like, 
have more to do with people expressing an interest and then hitting them with communication that is relevant to what they're asking about. So. Yes. Yes. So not always being pitchy peats and trying to sell, 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 but it sounds like also a lot of what you do, especially in person and virtually is creating these relationships faster, um, which I'm definitely all about. For sure. Yeah. And I think too, like part of what um, at my current role in, at um, All American Entertainment, I mean, what we are really trying to focus on is building that relationship. And um, I think that successful companies know that that's how, that's the secret to longevity. Mm-hmm. Um, the best price is not always going to get you loyalty. Um, it's always yeah. going to be the relationships that you build, the service you provide, and um, the trust in the brand that are going to really extend your relationship. And that's, um, you know, no matter what tactic you use. So. No, absolutely. And people see it all the time, which, you know, there's a lot of people who can like what you can only compare on certain things. So it's, you know, the price point, you know, time and quality and a lot of things that trump all of that is really the relationship at the end of the day. I've seen people, salespeople who had a client for years and years and years, and let's say they retire and the person who was just there consistently nurturing that relationship now gets this huge deal um, because they were willing to continue to nurture the relationship and value the person over just the transaction. Right. For sure. And I think the other thing too, that um, goes just beyond that is just that longevity of having a consistent recurring customer and it costs less to keep a happy recurring customer. And in the industry that we're in, in the events industry, most of the people we work with have either multiple events a year or multiple events every year at the same time. And, and so that definitely is a little bit different and just shifting it from like a transaction into a relationship. Yeah. So, I mean, I know that you know, since the dawn of time, relationships have always been the number one easiest consistently converting strategy when it comes to building your business. And I would almost say number two, which in conjunction with a relationship are these event experiences, right? It's this either in-person or this community, if you will, that you've gathered Mm -hmm. of people. Um, Would you agree with that in terms of like an assessment of of a strategy that's always going to kind of work? Um, I'm a huge fan of events, obviously <laughs> worked in the industry. I do think no, though, I don't know, a whole different kind of conversation. <laughs> I think there's also, um, a huge component, especially for our business in digital marketing and, um, and having a really solid online presence is what's kept us in business for nearly 20 years. Um, I do think that the event relationships, there's definitely an entire, we could probably do a whole separate podcast on that, um, on the events and the power of events and what's going on in the industry. I'm happy to talk about that any time. I think that um, right now where most of our focus is going and energy, especially the second half of this year is into digital marketing strategies and Um, Some of what we do really, really well, and we're very, very fortunate is organic search and paid search. And so we're looking at those programs and figuring out like, how do we take what we're getting and make it better? How do we convert more of the traffic that we're getting to our site rather than trying to figure out how to get more traffic? And we're hopefully doing that as well. Um, How do we make our ad campaigns more effective and convert better for us and more targeted? And, and so I think that just my, my thought is like, at this stage of the game, we are facing the potential of additional lockdowns, mass mandates, and events are all like screeching with breaks right now and trying to figure out what to do. Um, And this is sort of reminiscent of when I started at the company last March, which I never would have imagined starting a job in the event industry in March of 2020. It's just going to go down in history. Um, But a lot of people went under because they weren't able to move. Yeah. Yeah. What we really did then was at the advice of my CEO and he, he was very wise and he said, you know what, we're going to focus on what we know how to do, which is search. 
And we are mm-hmm. very good at search. And let's just double down on that. Let's figure out how to optimize. Let's not really rock the boat right now, but let's do what we do and we'll do it well. And that, and then as we transition to virtual events, like you mentioned in the, um, in the intro, that then positioned us really, really well to make that transition. And it's been gangbusters since. Um, but yeah, events too. I think events are really, really great. I think that um, just like we talked about with email, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of virtual events and a lot of things happening. Um, there's an emergence of hybrid events, mm-hmm. which is something that um, really brings together the in-person and the virtual experience into a single universal action. Um, and a lot of companies are choosing to embrace that. The companies that are choosing to look at hybrid are actually having an easier time right now because they can more easily pivot backwards out of in-person and solely go virtual if they choose to. Right versus planning an in-person and then doing a 180 to virtual. So we well, fortunately like have been down this road effort. last yeah. year. So we've been well positioned and now we've done thousands of virtual events. So we're good. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> virtual events people. aren't going anywhere. <clears throat> I mean, as I, you've seen, like the, it wasn't about making the in-person events happen. It was about how do we make it happen? And that is taking the in-person aspect and making it virtual and really, you know, the ability to expand who's able to attend. Now I know the hardest part about, virtual events, if you will, is the attendance, right? So people can register. Yes, we charge a ticket price that helps with that. But how do you keep them engaged? Because it's one thing to be in the room where you've got your time monopolized. You're not really going anywhere. You're in the hotel. There's no windows. You don't know what time it is um, (laughs) kind of thing. But now you're dealing with distractions. You're dealing with family members. You're dealing with the internet, right? Like all the social media platforms that can pull you away. So what would be your recommendations on keeping that you know, attendee engagement and, and increasing their show up rate? Yeah, that's a great question. I just did an interview with uh, Luke Getting from Puffington Presentations. Um, there's a video out there floating around. Um, and we talked about this topic specifically. Really, engagement is the noted biggest challenge. I know I've seen surveys coming out of the event industry, and that is the biggest concern of event planners when it comes to virtual events. Yeah. You, you just, you know what you're dealing with. And so I think the first thing I would say is that don't have the expectation your virtual is going to be exactly like your in-person experience. It's not, it's a totally different thing. Um, and so you need to treat it like that. And secondly, I think there are tools out there that can help bridge the gap between your in-person and your virtual attendance. Mm. Um, some of those are geared towards dynamic engagement, having speakers that are um, maybe pre-recording a session and then available for interactive chat during a virtual event, for example, to answer questions during their session Mm. is one tactic I've seen a lot of companies use. Um, I think there's also the ability of like taking breaks, feeding in different sections. So you schedule out, probably with virtual, I would say we're seeing shorter sessions. So maybe 15, 20 minute virtual sessions where you might be 40 minutes in an in-person conference. Um, And then in that timeframe, they're also bringing in people that are a little bit out of the box, maybe they're exercise experts to help you, you know, work out in two minutes or less, or somebody to meditate with you or musicians to entertain you. And that mentally is helping to break up the monotony of being in front of your computer screen at all times. I don't think you can help it. If, if you're working at home, like all of us are these days and you've got a family and you've got dogs and kids and all those things Mm -hmm. going on, you, you can't control that from an event planner's perspective, but you can try to make your event as engaging by giving them great content, by giving them um, flexibility in how they want to view the content. So if they have the ability Mm -hmm. to go backwards and like, you can pause the session and go back and listen to it again later, if you get distracted, Um, making it as easy as possible for that is really what I would say that I would advise people to do. And that's what I try to do myself. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so I know a lot of the, um, I mean, you can have the engagement and you can have the great presentation. A lot of the effort really comes in before the event actually ever gets started in terms of, I mean, you talked about having a solid online presence. You talked about the search capabilities, digital marketing strategies and stuff like that. What are some things that you're seeing people like it's it's clear as day for you of being like everyone should be doing this and no one's doing it. Like, what are some of those strategies that you're not seeing people leverage, not only as part of because I really see this as whether you're putting on an event or not, this is also about the community that you're building. So really, this could be used in email marketing. This could be used in your Facebook groups. It could be used on your content, potentially. Right. In terms of the, the idea of what you're probably going to share. How do you create engagement, you know, beforehand to help with the show up rate for these kind of events? Yeah, that's a great, great question. I know it's like the, it's like the magic, the magic mystery answer. I feel like right. I need an eight ball to shake and then look at it <laughs> to get the answer. Well, in this consideration, in this team, in this environment, with this niche, it, it would be this. I get it. Really, I understand. It, it like... very, it depends. You got to know your audience. I mean, no matter what you're going to do, you, if you have, you don't know your audience, you have to identify who they are first and foremost, and then you have to know where they are and how do they consume their content. Um, if you're going after an audience, like in our case, we look and we work a lot with event professionals and event planners. And so um, how you and I initially met on Clubhouse, and that was um, early in 2021, that was an amazing resource for me because there were so many event planners on there talking about events and what was their what were their biggest challenges and fears. And I really got a true sense of what the persona looks like for my audience. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that um, should start the conversation before you ever reach out to somebody, you got to know who you're talking to and what matters to them. Um, and then you figure out, okay, I know who you are and I know what matters to you. Now, where are you? And that's a little bit more elusive. Like finding them on clubhouse was truly lucky. And I got super geek out excited when I was like, oh my God, they're talking on clubhouse because it is really hard to find where those active conversations are happening. Sometimes they're happening in forums and their gated forums or their membership only communities and you're not a member and you don't see those things happening and so trying to figure out where they're having conversations and then making logical decisions based on the data analytics behind the scenes of okay somebody who is in this demographic group and who has the following interests may also be interested in xyz so maybe that helps to shape what your offer is and Mm. you're maybe you're running a contest and that's your grand prize because you know that this audience is interested in travel and you might want to pursue that angle there. So I think that um, you've got to really, really start with like knowing your audience, knowing where they are before you start figuring out what tactics you need to use to reach them. If you are, for example, like um, dealing with an audience that is exclusively using mobile devices and you're in a market that really does. My market actually is the opposite of that. My, my market does much better with desktop. Um, yeah. But if you ha- that's about a matter of knowing your market. If we know your market, you know what devices are going to convert for you, then you go after mobile advertising, for example, or you go after in-game advertising if that's really where your audience is. It's just a matter of you can't do any of that stuff and you can't really figure out your strategy until you know who you're talking to and where to find them. And that right there, I think a lot of people spend a lot of time just kind of throwing things. I mean, that's almost what email marketing sometimes feels like, right? Which is they're just kind of, you know, yes, we want to be Johnny Apple seeds and we're planting seeds, but we also don't want to waste all of our seeds, planting them and throwing them on concrete where the likelihood of them growing are going to be slim to none. Let's find some fertile soil. Um, And I think that plays into what your strategy was in terms of finding them, which was doing the thing that helps them attract them to you, which is speaking. Um, so how much do you think that, you know, affects your ability to help put on successful events and create these dynamic online profiles and all that? 
Well, you know what I think it does is it really helps us. And we talked first about a relationship and building those relationships. Mm. It really helps us to better understand what makes our clients tick. And I think that that is really the secret to building that long-term relationship. If you understand what their pain points are, you're one step ahead of them and then you can help solve them. And you can say to them, you know what? I know you're struggling with ROI. Here's a resource that might be of, of help to you. Um, or how are you planning to go back to in-person events? Here's what another client of mine said they're going to be doing. And I think that um, just having the relationship, but you have to understand that person because if you go to them with a the concern of like, oh man, you know, this is really... <laughs> wow, this is awful. And they're like, okay, but whatever, like you, right. you have to understand what their pain points are. And that's the only way you get there is by understanding the market. Right. Well, and making sure you're attracting the right people, because sometimes, you know, people tend to talk at the wrong level and then they're surprised that they're attracting all the, um, no wrong quote unquote kind of clients for them essentially. So that's what do you think are the big differences between corporate events and kind of the smaller entrepreneurial event, which don't always, I mean, sometimes a corporate event is smaller than the entrepreneurial event. And then sometimes it's the opposite. I mean, are there really any differences that need to be taken into consideration when you're using that strategy? No, I mean, for an in-person event, it would be different. Obviously you'd have venue concerns and spacing and all of that um, and travel potentially and staffing and, and the things. But when you are dealing with a virtual event, there's really no difference if there's 10 or 10,000, um, mm-hmm. as long as your platform can support that. And, um, I think that what we're seeing really right now, um, we really are seeing that resurgence of virtual again. And I think that that means that the playing field is leveled and for smaller events, we do a lot of speaking engagements, for example, at universities, and it might be the alumni association's history department wants to bring in a historian on the civil war to come and talk to students and, and alumni. Um, or we could deal with a very large professional organization like the Humane Society, and they want to plan and, you know, a, a really significantly sized virtual hybrid event. Mm. Um, the amount of prep that a speaker puts into that event is going to be, it should be pretty, pretty much the same. They should be customizing the message. They should be getting to know who the audience is. And then they should be rehearsing and making sure their tech is good, making sure their message is on point and then, Mm. um, and going. So like, regardless of the size. So I think it's really a level playing field when you're talking about really small events, or you're talking about really large events, especially when it's virtual. Um, And that's probably why we're seeing so many of them right now is that it is a, a very low barrier, low cost to entry to the market. Um, it's a way to stay connected and communicate. It's just that people don't all know, one, how to keep that engagement, like we talked about earlier, and two, that the importance of having the speaker who, who is dynamic and who can come through the screen and who can keep your people engaged um, because nobody wants to just sit and listen to blah, blah, blah all day. <laughs> they want to be entertained. They want to yeah. be enlightened and they want to be inspired yeah. um, in addition to everything else. So. So when it comes to um, companies, right? So corporations, whether it's universities or healthcare institutions, large, small, and all the like, mm-hmm. you know, we come from a digital marketing background. And so yeah. when it comes to content and posting and engagement and, and, you know, that side of things, like we live it, we breathe it, we understand the value of it. Mm-hmm. I know in a lot of conversations that I had with companies, they're kind of roll their eyes and they go, yeah, social media, whatever. Um, and then you've got a whole bunch of people who've just gotten their MBAs in, in marketing who are coming in and being like, you know, paper ads, <laughs> who don't really get digital marketing. Mm-hmm. So what's that conversation with, like with them when you're saying, Hey, like, cause that has to play a part in terms of creating a successful event is 
getting people engaged beforehand, what's that look like in terms of getting them on board with your strategy that you know works to help with getting people in the room and keeping them engaged and moving them through to, you know, the end result that they're trying to achieve. Yeah. It's almost like you were in my office this week. I think, (laughs) I think, um, when it comes to making the case, especially for social media, social media is one of those things that is very hard to quantify. And it's really easy to be misled by what you're seeing in a platform. And so I know that I've had this conversation multiple times in different roles and, The way that we address it is we really try to be data-driven. And that's kind of one of our initiatives this year is that everything that we're doing is tracked and we leverage marketing automation to do that. Um, And the way that we're doing it today um, allows us to get greater visibility into the influence of social media in the life cycle. Um, One other thing that we recently launched on our end is like a social media advocacy program and platform. And I know that not all companies can do this, especially if you're small and you don't have the budget for it, but so what, what this does for us, and I'm sure there are other tools out there that can do this, this platform will give us the estimated earned media value of what the social engagement happened organically. So for example, we have maybe 16 employees that are pushing out our blog content today. We're doing like a little internal beta, and we know that that generated over $1,200 in earned media value. That's free media value that we would have had to pay $1,200 for, which is much more than what this platform cost us. Right. Right. So I think having that, that kind of visibility is what allowed me to go to them and say, okay, <clears throat> you might see like, okay, we've got a couple posts up here and maybe one or two likes, but here's the reach. The reach was 22,000, 22,000 people saw this in their feeds across all of our respective networks. And I think that's what get lost, gets lost when you start looking at social media from like a purely situational. And this is what my view is. And I only see three people liking it and nobody sharing it or commenting. Right, right. People like, don't. So it's the, what are the vanity metrics and what are the quantifiable metrics that actually move the needle forward? Because sure, like this other post could have hundreds, even thousands of likes and comments on it, but it's not actually doing anything because they're talking about whether or not they like a topping on a pizza versus something that's a little more strategic that kind of seeds an opportunity to work or engage that company in whatever capacity that they're trying to. Exactly. And I mean, because we we work in basically the entertainment industry. And so social media for (laughs) us is a no brainer. Like our talent is on social media and our clients are somewhat on social media as well. And they're using it to engage with each other and to ask advice and tips. And and I'm seeing multiple threads and conversations happening, you know, different platforms. Um, So we know that that's where our audience is. And because we know our audience is there, that's where we need to be there. We can't ignore that regardless of um, how active they are on our channels. I do think that one of the other things I would mention is that it's important to also know and make sure that you're getting the right following. Just like you talked about getting the right customers on social media, um, it can be challenging. Sometimes you put it out there and especially for us in the entertainment world, we get fans, we get people who want to, you know, I want to meet Blake Shelton and Gwen Stefani, and I want them to come to my birthday. We get that. Um, we do too, but that's not really what our business is. And so it's really hard sometimes just like it is when you're selling and you're trying to market to people and you're trying to bring in new customers to make sure you're getting the right customers. And the same would apply to social media. You really want to get the right followers. Um, so more is not always better if they're not the right Mm -hmm. followers. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've seen those strategies. I mean, hopefully no one's still teaching them, but I've seen them every now and then of being like, yeah, this page has 10,000 likes and it's everyone other like 909,000, whatever it is from India, which is not where your ideal client lives and it's not who buys from you. So yes, the vanity metric is all great and good to have, but it's not actually doing anything. Exactly. Bottom line. <laughs> exactly. 
Um, where are you seeing the trend, which was the word I was trying to find at the very beginning ah, of this? Um, the trend. Yes, the trend. Where are you seeing things going as it relates to what's working to get people's attention? Because, you know, we know that there's, you do organic and you do paid, right? Like, but it's, there's, and like you said, there's just so much more noise, like it feels like right now. So how, what's working to get people's attention? And again, the right people's attention. Yeah, that's a great question. I think for us, um, we're definitely still heavily invested in search. I think for us, we're also trying to get that for people. Yeah, sure. I mean, I would say that what we're trying to do right now is focus on building out our organic and our paid strategies um, and expand them. And so when we do that, what we're talking about is making them more relevant and more targeted to our audience versus broad. Like we talked about email, just I hate the word blast. Um, But when you do that, it just shows that you don't have any intent about, you know, segmentation or understanding of your audience when you blasted them, because it's Mm -hmm. just basically saying, here's what I have to say. And it doesn't matter what you want. Um, We're trying to get a little bit more refined. And so search is one of the ways that I think is, um, is great because obviously you're finding people at the right time in their buying cycle. You're finding Mm -hmm. people who are actively searching and you want to appear. And so things that we would work on, for example, to try to optimize for that in this very crowded, noisy digital space. We've been working on schema. We've been working on making sure that our ratings and reviews are showing up in results to improve our click-through rates. We are launching retargeting programs so that more of the traffic that we know we want to have gets retargeted if they haven't converted. Um, It's those kinds of decisions of like taking what what we know that's working and how do we improve upon it and and pulling those things out. So that's a lot of what I think um, people should be focusing on. Email, yes, email is important, but I see email more as a, in a, like a supporting, best supporting actor role, um, supporting your process once you've brought so somebody in. So on for me. Like you just like made me smile being like, well, I, don't, I, I think that that's where a lot of people get confused with what content and emails are supposed to do. So, I mean, in, in my opinion, which, you know, maybe will change 10 years from now, probably not, is that all of that stuff is just to reinforce the message of what it is that you're really going out and trying to do versus really trying to convince or convert someone. It's kind of these micro yeses that you're gathering to get to the bigger yes. And it's Mm -hmm. great to have it there. I have seen plenty of people be relatively successful without all of it, but it's the, that's the money you're leaving on the table when you're not doing these kind of consistent actions that demonstrate a more established business. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think also too, I'm, I mean, just to be real, like the last 18 months have not been normal for a lot of us, <laughs> very much so. Um, Has it only been 18 months, you say 18 months or 18 years? Because right, right. Oh, that too. But 18 <laughs> months, like a lot of our client base, for example, I mean, we dealt with COVID just like a lot of industries. There was huge, a huge, huge surge of layoffs in our industry. And then slowly but surely people came back into roles. And it's mm. just like, you lose communication. These are people that maybe we didn't talk to for four or five months in the middle And now we're trying to restart conversations with them. It's like, how do you go about that conversation? Do you remember me? It's been a while. (laughs) Like it's, it's not easy, but you just trust that you are hitting the right tone. You're hitting the right message. You know, that client because you've worked with them for years and, and you hope for the best that way to, to bring in their business. Are you saying that there's a skill set involved with all of this? That is something that's developed over time by practicing and engaging with people? (laughs) Oh my gosh. What? What? (laughs) 
So what you're talking yes. about right there is the thing that I love to talk about, which is how do you go from talking about the weather to whether we should work together? That weather to weather turn of the conversation is where I see a lot of people get stuck. A lot of people get triggered by the salesy, sleazy, slimy kind of, I don't want to do this to someone else because I am trying to close them. What have you seen work for you guys when it comes to having that conversation and turning it? Yeah, sure. I mean, I could tell you right now, we we were getting ready to do this again. At the beginning of the pandemic, um, everybody was producing events around the pandemic. Oh my gosh, what's COVID and how's it going to impact me? And everybody like panic, panic, panic and hitting our clients and our audience with that. And so I, I was like, this is nuts. I want to do something fun. And so we've created, we kind of took a different tone. First of all, we reached out to our clients with a very empathetic email, like, Hey, we know it's hard right now. And the tone of that was very much appreciated. It was not pressury. It was not anything. It was like, Hey, we're here. We know this is nuts. We're here to help you. Let us know how we can help you. And we will hope to get through this safely and happily in the other side. And the second thing we did was we planned a webinar series for our clients that was about happiness instead of about fear and COVID and all the cooties and everything. Um, and we brought in guest speakers on the topic and people who, um, who were more, you know, well-versed in how do you motivate people through challenge and how do you face challenge with not op- with optimism. And we had such positive feedback from our audience because this was different. This was not, oh my gosh, you need to know what's happening with COVID because if ever you needed that at that point in time in like April of 2020, all you did was put on TV and left it 24 seven and you knew everything you needed to know about COVID. I mean, everything. People were getting so burnt out at that point, like enough already. I, know, I get it, it's hard. And so we were like, they need a little pick me up. And so mm. we were able to build out the series and it did really well. I think that um, it strengthened one, it strengthened a relationship with um, some talent that we work with on a regular basis. It really helped to solidify that. And, and that was a great plus. Um, we got to entertain our audience. We had some really great speakers. Um, and, and then we just gave them a, like a 30 minute distraction through a very stressful period in time. And I think that if I was going to offer advice to your listeners, like it would be to just empathize. You've got to put yourself in their shoes and what are they facing right now? It's not what you're facing. It's about Mm -hmm. what they're facing. And Mm -hmm. you need to give them something that shows that you're human and not that you are in this for the business. Yes, we all are. I mean, businesses are in it for money, but it's more about people first. Yeah. I mean, everything that you're talking about, absolutely. All the strategies that I also share with my clients as well, in terms of what's the thing that you can give as value that really feels like a no strings attached kind of thing. Like Mm -hmm. you're not looking to be like, all right, hold on. You're going to pitch me. And you're giving that like alarm of being like, okay, that pitchy peak kind of feeling. But that thing that they're not expecting, that thing that is a very easy thing to say yes to, and really focused on, you know, giving them the value that helps them and not really trying to work an angle or anything like that. And of course, you're going to say or share something related to, hey, if you're interested in wanting to learn more, like, but it's not this like super strategic, aggressive, hard pitch. It's more of a, Mm -hmm. we're here. And we know that you're a human and that when you're made that you're getting to ready to make that decision will be considered because we've been giving to you. Exactly. Um, I, I think, think too, another thing that goes into that, um, that we've worked really hard over the past year is building out our content library and having a solid set of, of resources at your disposal, yes. whether it's video or, you know, PDF, um, eBooks, 
um, we didn't have it. And so we were constantly like marketing book speaker. And that is great because that's what we eventually want people to do, but it doesn't cater to all people at different buying cycles. And so we um, really broadened up what our information is. So that way we can communicate and stay front of mind with them without the hard sell of, Hey, when you're ready, you know where to find me. We're able to keep that consistent communication and we're able to um, also educate them and give them some advice on what we're seeing in the industry. I love, love that. Having a resource library. Um, How much of the resource library were you guys creating in terms of your original content versus curating by leveraging other people, maybe some other clients, you know, in terms of showcasing that? Yeah, I'd say most of it is, is created by the team and my team and I, um, we, we definitely did a lot, but we took insights from other departments. So for example, yeah. I mentioned the ROI document. We do have an ROI tool that was suggested by one of our logistics managers who works on the events themselves. <laughs> She's like, my clients seem to be struggling with this. And I think that it might be helpful if we had a resource like that mm-hmm. early in the pandemic. Another resource we created was based on their recommendation of having a list of technical guidance for people of like what how, what type of internet connection do you need? What type of webcam should you have? What mm-hmm. should you be doing um, with, with a microphone? Should you be using your computer? The answer is no, never. Uh, <laughs> so the, a lot of times we were able to source that information within our own organization, just based on the clients that we work with. So a lot of times we definitely tap into our own, own experience, whether it's our sales agents or logistics team um, and definitely marketing team of what we're seeing and what people are asking for and what they're searching for. I mean, fantastic example of doing market research, listening to your clients and then providing a resource for them because you're just showcasing your ability and your dexterity in terms of being able to support them with whatever questions come their way. So, I mean, I know that you don't need it, but gold star. <laughs> Right there. Complete alignment with all of our philosophies. I love it. So Jennifer, you've been amazing. You've shared a bunch of resources and, you know, strategies that people should be leveraging things to think about. I want to highlight the fact that you talked about giving information at different levels of the buying life cycle, right? And so someone who's brand new introduced to you. So, you know, these in our industry is known as lead magnets, right? Um, but it's also just resources. They don't, there doesn't have to be an opt-in. There doesn't have to be a tie-in. And a lot of times that'll be more valuable because what it does is it provides an opportunity to have the conversation. Hey, did you get a chance to check that out? And you know exactly who's asking for it. So I just wanted to really highlight the kind of strategy, the depth of it, where it's just this taking a little bit more time to create more ease in the business later by really nurturing and valuing the relationship. So how can people get in touch with you? Because I know you have a depth more, like this was not even the top of the iceberg in terms of what you're able to share. Um, How can people get in touch with you and learn a little bit more about what you guys do and how they might be able to benefit from your services? Sure. That sounds great. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, This sounds like the fastest time ever because we just love talking. So it's great. (laughs) Um, You can find me, our website is allamericanspeakers.com. Um, you can reach me at Jennifer at AAEHQ.com or I'm on Instagram at Jen B at AAE or on LinkedIn. So those are probably the best ways to find me. Fantastic. Um, so any parting words, any things that you want people to know when they're considering, you know, putting on an event, hosting it themselves, using, you know, services and, or anything along those lines? Yeah, practice, practice, practice. Do not skip the practice step. <laughs> You want to make sure that all your tech, that your speakers are ready, that you know that people that are on the other end know the logical flow of the event. Um, you oh my God, like surprised. Sorry. Like little star here. 
do not just assume that your speakers are going to know how to get on even zoom exactly have the day before at least an hour where you're doing like this onboarding prep tech chest test or whatever it is like please for the love of god (laughs) and as a speaker (laughs) and other speakers out there be decent and show up for those because then you're going to look like an ass when you come on and you're like, I don't know where the button is. And you're going to waste 10 minutes of your speaking time. Just. Yeah, it's hard. It, it is personal opinion, but you know, <laughs> it is challenging, but I would say the, um, the greater likelihood of success happens when those practice sessions happen and the dot, you know, eyes are dotted and T's are crossed and you make sure that everybody feels comfortable. I mean, I was a moderator in a recent event a virtual event and they walked us through, this is how it's going to work. We joined at this specific time. We knew exactly what to expect and how it was going to operate. And I think that it, it helps as a speaker, it helps mm-hmm. people. So it helps to know what to expect, but thank um, you so I much. I'll ask for... one more question. What, yeah. what do you do when shit just hits the fan? Like when, it, I mean, cause there's always that instant, you could have everything going fine. And then that moment where everything from the get-go just gets chocolate. <laughs> Chocolate's what we do. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's going to happen. I mean, things are always going to go wrong and you just have to be ready to roll with it. Um, When you have, when you've done the rehearsals, you also have a backup plan. And so if, for example, the storms come through and my internet goes out, I know that I can hop onto my phone within two minutes and and be back on the call. Um, And so I think it's just having a backup plan ahead of time makes it a lot easier. So if a speaker can't make it or a speaker is like two minutes late and you've got somebody introducing them and you just have them stretch the time if they're not there you know like things like that um, not that that should happen juggling. like <laughs> for sure for sure but yeah no hey you know what life happens just like you know in the events world just like everything else and sometimes you don't know what's going to come your way but I think that um I'm happy to be in this industry because these people are pretty awesome so <laughs> Aww, that's so awesome thank you so much again for coming today. sure my pleasure thank you thanks